Let's Talk, a podcast where migrant women discuss mental health. This podcast is brought to you by Akidwa and kindly funded by Bank of Ireland. Join us in our four-episode series where we discuss our experiences navigating the migrant status in the workplace, seeking asylum, being a mother, and in terms of access to mental health. Welcome to episode three of the Let's Talk podcast. With me today, I have our regulars, Shakya, our experts, PhD researcher in psychology. I have Samantha, our communications expert. And I also have Mimuna, who is our most talented speaker. <laughs> I'm Sharon and I'm a human rights lawyer slash expert. But I want to highlight again, as always, that we're all from migrant backgrounds and we will be addressing issues from that migrant women's lens. Today, our episode is titled Migrant Mothers Unite. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, we want to start off, obviously, by what it means to be a mom and like being a mom in another country. And very interestingly, I think that being a mom is so deep. It's like, yeah, well, I don't know how to unpack being a mom. And we want to focus on the migrant perspective and what it means to be a mom in another country. Okay. So. <laughs> Just like, I think, uh, Maimona, I know uh, you have a little girl, right? I do. Yeah. I have a child that I had here. Huh? <laughs> and it was a shock having a child here. Like, it was crazy. Like, do you have a child somewhere else? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you've... you've I do. Been I had one in my country. Oh, my. oh so you have two children. Yes. Oh, nice. Sorry. How old are they? Oh, mama. <laughs> good, I have um, five and three. Okay. Huh. Yeah. So the three years old is, is the one here. Yeah. Okay. And like, do you want to talk a little, even about like how it was being pregnant a little bit? Just give us some insights. <laughs> <laughs> the basics. Like, here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, it was just... It was just something that I lived through without actually experiencing it. So mm. it's crazy. Yeah, but it was a lot of medical, medical focused on the experts, the professionals telling you what to do as usual and <laughs> talking to the machine and not you and stuff like that. Yeah, but um, when I had my child, that was when it really struck me the most. It was... Kind of lonely. I was the only one. So I had nobody with me, or friends and family. And then I realized that the system, like the medical system, what's it called? The antenatal, postnatal, maternal care is really relied on families and friends taking in some roles that like the supportive roles, maybe the emotional connection roles, if I can say that. It, there's a lot of reliance on that for you to get that kind of support. And then while the expert only focused on the machine and just helping you give birth to the child. So people like me that I didn't have somebody like that with me. So I lacked, I didn't, like it was lonely and isolating kind of to not have that kind of support. People just coming in. You mean like emotional support? So like a yeah. support system? Yeah, basically. exactly. Like that I need as a mother, like, for me, oh, what they were doing, really, it is important to have that. But then if you don't have somebody holding you and talking to you nicely as a person. When you say that they're talking to the machine, do you, are you suggesting that there was not enough like humanity in no, the service? Yeah, out? it was just somebody comes in, like I was left alone with a belt. So if kind of, 
if you need support, you have to ring the bell because they were too busy. Mm, mm. It was, I think they were understaffed. They're saying, I have to go to the other room. I have to. Mm. So it was just, I love that. And somebody just comes in, they check the thing and they go. And then it's just me again. So, yeah. Yeah, I suppose for them, it's just the job. Yeah. And you're there, just one more there, one yeah. person more there, yeah. laying yeah. in the bed. And it's just, just wait. Exactly. Just wait for your turn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it can feel very, yeah, not very human in some sense. And mm-hmm. I can understand what you're saying about that emotional support. I feel that um, not related to being a mother, but sometimes I have been experience for some reason, many medical challenges here in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And it's the way that you are the only person that is alone in a waiting room. Mm-hmm. Like everyone have, um, you know, oh, j- you know, the, ga- the way that you have, you know, <clears throat> your sister comes to you to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's yeah, hospital, something like that. Like or after whatever treatment. intervention mm-hmm. you're having or whatever you have, someone is just like, one day I realized that I was just alone there. So mm-hmm. I can't imagine how it's just been facing like being a mother mm-hmm. and actually having a child. <laughs> yeah, it was unimaginable. I was shocked. Like, but then like they were all over you with the machine and checking and checking. But the minute you have the child, they just... It's just like, okay, the job is done. <laughs> is, now you're totally on your own. No one is telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. And then... You, I had the catheter. I had like I couldn't go to. I don't know if I can say it. I couldn't wee mm-hmm. by myself because <laughs> yeah, I was you know, all patched up, torn, and yeah. all of that. I couldn't walk. I couldn't get up. Oh, you didn't. So because you didn't have someone to support you, like these things became harder. Because even it when was. we're even talking about like what's happening in the hospital and the mm-hmm. nurses being so like, I don't know what the words to use there. That that's correct, but it's like a bit short. Like being straight up because they have another. They're mm-hmm. trying to deliver They're to so staff. many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, like, but it's like if you actually are there with your support system already, then you wouldn't that mind. Would be so much. That yes, would be such. You wouldn't help, mind those like, kind of short yeah. things because mm-hmm. like you don't even need like you try to get back to your moment. Yeah. But then I guess like as a migrant, it's it's harder because that's that contact to the person that's actually speaking to you within all the hours that you're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe you're looking, maybe looking forward to it in a way or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the only social. It's social, yes. Like, contact you have. Yes, yes. And especially like maybe it might not be the best place or time to make friends because you're going through things. <laughs> so it's hard. Friends. Yeah. You just need the baby out. And yeah. you need <laughs> but you also need someone holding your hand. You need mm. love you in need the time, that. you know? Yeah, and if you don't get that and you don't get the proper orientation as well because the minute the baby's out and they abandon you and you don't know what to do, it's the opposite setting. you like, there's nothing you can do. Can you, will you get up and you can't leave the baby alone too. There's this security thing around the baby's ankle and all of that. It was just too much. Yeah. I guess. And like, I don't know. Like, I couldn't, I think I couldn't bat. I couldn't go to the bathroom because Mm -hmm. there was nobody to leave the baby with. And I couldn't go give the baby a shower either. So, like, I can't imagine how that must have affected mentally. I expected there to be some sort of support for somebody to bat the baby for me but then they said oh you've already had a baby so you have to do it yourself they only do it for first time mothers and do you think like the kind of loneliness that you experienced around birthing might have had any like postpartum effects as well Hmm. I think so because like a lot of things will be blurry to me right now but then I remember a lot of 
I think I cried a lot during first few months and um I was not happy and then like compared when you had to stay in the hospital for no reason like you're waiting for somebody to give you a place to stay because like I was coming from the hotel so there was no way I could go back the hotel what yeah hotel? like I went from the hotel to have a baby in the hospital mm. And also from like the yeah. accommodation during yeah. accommodation. So like no one yeah. will allow you to bring the baby back in. That was what I was told. Like you have to find this space. And I had so within wow. me from that um from two days, like from me going from hospital to from the hotel to the hospital, I became homeless again. Like we had nowhere to go. So <laughs> we had to stay in the hospital extra days for no reason. We were not sick, we we're fine. Sorry, so just to understand this, yeah. the accommodation center which you were staying at the time, which is a hotel, mm-hmm. has to make separate um, arrangements once you have a baby. <sighs> so you couldn't oh. you couldn't bring your baby with but, you. In yeah, a way. I couldn't bring my baby back to the yeah, Clayton Hotel for some reason. That was what I was That's told. The policy. They knew I you were no pregnant. Yeah, yeah. And you had a child already. Exactly. You needed to come so, back. So yeah, and oh, I guess gosh. it was. It felt to IPAS to have provided me a place to go. What's IPAS? Uh, I know what it is. I just want people to know what it is. I don't know. So, uh, yeah. International Protection Accommodation Service. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they were supposed to provide me that. I know, I remember being in touch with the um, ombudsman then for mm-hmm. support to mm-hmm. help uh, find accommodation. But then there was the issue of me studying too. Like I needed them to put that into consideration because I was going to have a baby and mm-hmm. I was going to go back to study immediately. So I need a place that would not be too far out of Dublin. Mm. But then, the, you know how they have, like, we can't give you a place, blah, blah, blah. This place is for emergency, people that have certain issues, stuff like that. So I kept having that correspondence for nine months. And at the end of nine months, I still had no place to go after having a baby. It's just a powerlessness for me, like, how can you just have a baby and then you are thinking of where to go? It's not in your power to actually position yourself mm-hmm. in a place where you can actually have somewhere to come back. Like, mm-hmm. as in just being a, someone who's seeking asylum and living in that deprivation sense. Like, it's the powerlessness is just mentally, I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot. Like, it's almost, it must be its own mental burden as well. Mm-hmm. It needs a bit of silence. <laughs> It does. And like, I think raising a child here in Ireland, like once you actually have the child, mm-hmm. just as a mother from a migrant background, you've already highlighted like kind of the loneliness around and the challenges that might present from, you know, having a support during pregnancy and possibly after pregnancy. But then how might just your status as well influence mothering as a migrant? I guess like um, if we look at the maybe the cultural aspects in Nigeria, like when they say it takes a village to raise a child, it does actually. Because like you get extra support from people around. Like you can just um, call someone, your neighbor to watch your child and you go mm. do your thing and come yeah. back. But here you can't do that. And like there's the issue of, there's the fear of someone taking your child away from you. That that that's not That wasn't there. That would not have been there, like someone taking your child. Like, is this like kidnapping or? Like, <laughs> do we, That's how I see it. Like when you have an issue with, it's like social care. The like social, yeah. yeah. So like that's how we see it. Like some, it's it's just unthinkable for 
me to do anything, even apart from my personal values or stuff. There's the way I'll think about how the community will see me. Like I'm losing, I'm losing a child to the state. That's a big thing. It's so different, especially like from where I'm from as well. Like there's no such thing as I can understand. <laughs> <laughs> like my parents would say, "Oh, this is my child." That guy told me how to raise my child. Yes. Like, yeah. So it's very different, and even acclimatizing to that, that you no know, child is not yours. In a way, it can be taken away. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of left for you to do what the state is kind of expecting you to do with the mm-hmm. child or else it's gone. <laughs> and um, a lot of times you find yourself being on guard. Like, you don't know who's watching. Like, okay, what do I do? And there's, like, you make mistakes. I think someone would make mistake being there on guard. Like, like what I said before, I don't know, in the last episode, like, I was feeling a lot of things. Like, it would have been easy to... It would have been easier for me to ask for help if that pressure of me losing my child was not mm-hmm. there. But now I'm bottling a lot up because I don't want to trust someone with my problem. Lest they think, oh, she's crazy. We have to take the child away. And have you ever been in a position where you felt like, oh, oh my God, this thing that happened now. I'm definitely going to lose my child or panicking like, oh, this social worker. I'm going to be in trouble with, with a social worker. Like, Yeah, um, I think it would be something that I shared before about... When I just had my child, I, w- I would leave her because then I was living in a room and the bathroom was upstairs. Mm. So I couldn't trust any other person, any asylum seeker to watch my child. So I would leave her in the room and go shower and then come back. And then I I quickly discovered that that was not allowed. So that, that was... How did you f- discover that? Oh, I was threatened. Maybe. <laughs> and not, in the, not in the good way. By the land, um, well, I don't know what to call her, whether the management or the landlady. Obviously, we had an issue and she said that, oh, you're taking, you're leaving your child. So I'm going to report you to Tusla. And she actually reported me to Tusla. Did the someone like, showed up? Yeah. No, like they sent me a letter. Obviously, they knew. I don't know what they thought, but I didn't have to say much. They kind of understood. Yeah, they understood the problem and the situation that and she might have exaggerated stuff. And it's, it's mad how, like, someone takes the time to just do something like that, like... Something malicious. Something, like, ma- yeah, so no human, like, mm-hmm. uh, she could offer help, like, how long it will take to take a shower? Ten I minutes. Like, like, it was, because I I thought in the situation, I thought it was her fault that I, I had to leave my child because she didn't give me the bathroom. <laughs> she put the bathroom upstairs for everyone to share. So I had to, that was totally out of my power. And I wasn't going to take my child to the bathroom with all the gems and all that. Yeah, because it's a shared bathroom and it's a, how old is the child at this time? She was four months. Yeah, so this is a vulnerable child you don't want to be, yeah. yeah. It's so unfair. Mm -hmm. Like, what is your alternative? And it's interesting because if you're living in your own house by yourself, no one would know if you left your child in one room to go and take a shower. And, And I think... And this just goes back to some research that, that I that I did recently about like the number of African children going into state care in Ireland. Um, it was African focused, but just in terms of the numbers, there's a lot of people from a migrant community um, that are getting in trouble with the state care in terms of, you know, their children being at risk of take, being taken away. And is that hyper policing that exists in these centers that asylum seekers experience where like every little thing they're doing in terms of their parenting has been questioned where like mm-hmm. if you're in the four walls of your home and you're only going out to church you're going out to work and you only put the babysitter or you leave your child in a crutch 
like, who knows what you're doing with your child? It doesn't mean that, like, these people from this background are such horrible parents that they continue to be in trouble with the law. But mm-hmm. it's just that the system is rigged to constantly nitpick. It's just that you are constantly watch. Like someone yeah, is yeah. always watching and they are not watching in a positive way. Yeah. They I think like they yeah. have this perception of Prejudice Africans. Bias, like how we maybe we're always angry, we're mean, we're malicious to kids. So it is personal. In exactly. A way. <laughs> like it's not really about us. They don't know anything about me. So their general perception of what Africans' mother are like barbaric or whatever, they just put that onto every African person they see and they exaggerate. Like some things that I might do to my child in public, another white person could do it and they would just overlook it. But if it's the black person, oh, that's the problem yeah. there. And they're looking, they're kind of scrutinizing. Is just like maybe scolding your child if they're doing something yeah. like, oh, come back here, that kind of thing. If they're mm-hmm. wandering mm-hmm. off or something like yeah. that. It's like navigating the prejudice obviously is, is another thing. But I also think that we need to create our own kind of spaces and communities. Like the other day, I know, like sometimes I work with you, Mimun, and I'm looking at, okay, childcare, like to see, we need to actually take up more space as immigrants so that we can create that village in a way and participate in, in like the child rearing culture. Like, okay, babysitting as well. Like how are we going to have like a network of babysitters or like even having friends, like, that you can leave your child with sometimes because mm-hmm. and it's something you have to build consciously because you don't you don't have the luxury of having years of staying in a place to have those so you need to build it intentionally to have that resource definitely yeah I sometimes think like whenever I will become a mother is I suppose it's what we were talking a little bit before in our previous episode about you know you're missing many things uh, from your family and mm-hmm. from your friends But it's like thinking about who is going to really help me, you know, like who is going to be there for me. Um, maybe my child, you know, the grandparents, now that I live in another country, maybe my children even will be more fluent in other languages than mm. my native language. And that really concerns me. I know I don't have a child right now, but uh, there are things that I, I think about it. And it's just like that connection between, you know, my mother and my dad with my child. You know, the things that we are really missing sometimes. Yeah, I think from even, being just even, far away, yeah. you know, like, yeah, myself as well. I was thinking because I'm, I'm engaged and, and I'm supposed to get married oh, soon. So congratulations. I didn't know. <laughs> oh my God. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be thinking about the future and like, okay, possibly children. I said to my fiance one day, I said, look, I think we should go and live in maybe Blanchestown or Tala. And he's like, what? These places are notoriously kind of violent. But I was like, yeah, but they have more people mm. from our community. Mm-hmm. Just so that our child doesn't feel othered and like maybe there's a reduced chance for racial bullying because they're over it. Like, And he's just like, no, I don't care if like this child has to go to like a school in a place that or even if we have to be like maybe the only or one of the three black families that live in this place just so this child can go to a school that like is nicer. But I'm just like, I don't know, like is the mental health not relevant? Just um, a challenge in the system. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, Sharon. Um, I have been for a while in Ireland, mainly in mm, Dublin. Same. Um, And I feel that through the years, I have seen a huge change in diversity, which mm-hmm. has made me feel more comfortable mm-hmm. being outside, yeah. being talking my language with my friends. Mm. Uh, sometimes, you know, bad things happen and we of know course. that. But 
it's been changing a lot. Like the diversity that we see here now is is changing and it's getting somewhere and there we have more food, sour foods, whatever we like. But I completely understand that we're still not there maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you're <clears throat> just the only friend and seeing an estate family. You know, you are just yeah. four families or, you know, the way. Sometimes it's like everyone's greeting changing. themselves. So, yeah. And, and no one's greeting you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Aww. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know the way, but, but yeah, I feel that in in the positive note, I feel that it's changing and we are hopefully getting there mm-hmm. and where we have our communities a bit more closer every time. 100%. And with that, I'm going to just kind of close on this episode. My usual thanks. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for inviting us. Of yeah. course. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for listening in. And please watch our other episodes if you haven't. There's some good juicy stuff in there. And if you have, stick with us for our fourth one, which is coming up soon. Thank you so much. That's all, folks. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our session. Join us for more episodes on mental health. And please note that this podcast was brought to you by Akiva, kindly sponsored by the Bank of Ireland. Until next time, take care and have a good day. And please take care of your mental health. Oh, 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 o